Hello, welcome to Chef on a Mission Radio. I'm Chef Marcus Giuliano. This is episode number 71, all about food poisoning, things you need to know about food poisoning. And any time of the year you can get sick from foodborne illness, uh, especially around the holiday times when you're uh, at family members' houses, it's when it's more popular because, believe it or not, restaurant kitchens are trained in sanitation and they have the proper... Um, know-abouts and equipment uh, and monitoring to keep the food safe. But a lot of times we get sick from family picnics, going to, going over to family houses, family reunions, uh, potluck dinners. Potluck dinners are very high on the list for places you can get foodborne illness because home cooks aren't quite as diligent and uh, I'll talk about that, all about that. Talk all about food poisoning in just a moment here. But first, this podcast is brought to you by Aromatime Bistro, Aromatime Bistro, 165 Canal Street, Ellenville, New York. That's my restaurant, opened in 2003. We are certified green and uh, extremely farm to table. Great wine list. If you're ever up uh, in the Hudson Valley and Catskills, come stop by and join us, Aromatime, T-H-Y-M-E, bistro.com. And our other sponsor is my other business, VIPWineryVacations.com. Lifetime memories are not optional because we have such great relationships with all the wineries we buy from on our restaurant list. We have developed uh, trips to Italy. Uh, I've done Spain in the past, all across New York, and now Valle Guadalupe in Mexico and Baja. We take you to our friends' wineries and wine and dine you for the full week, vipwinerivacations.com, travel with a chef. Check that out on Instagram and on our website. Our next trip uh, dates are up there, the trips that are planned up there. So we do have things happening in New York and we do have things happening in Baja, California. Hope to soon return to Europe at some point uh, into Italy to do our wine vacations. So just stay tuned for all of that. All right. Food-borne illness. So here's the. I'm going to tell you a couple of things that um, I have a great. I have a great article from Med Talks, and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of that article. But that article doesn't say. And and wherever you search, it's hard. It's hard to really find this information. So um, there's some common misconceptions about food poisoning that everybody needs to know, because it's really detrimental to a place like me as a restaurant tour uh, with a reputation when people think that I made them sick. And if I really didn't, a lot of people like to go online and, and say that. And uh, we've had several bad reviews over the years of being open 19 years and several bad reviews where people have said, oh, I took a bite of the mussels and I was immediately in the bathroom of their, of their restaurant um, gagging and vomiting. And that's just impossible to happen. Um, or they'll say, I, I ate a burger last night at this restaurant. And on the way home, I felt very sick and I had food poisoning from this restaurant. Again, very highly, highly unlikely. Um, and people will call me. When people call me, I always have a standard line to them. Please call the health department. This is a very serious matter, extremely serious matter. Please call the health department and let them know. And one would think, well, gee, I'm calling to tell you, Marcus, that your restaurant made me sick and you're telling me to call the health department. Um, doesn't make sense. Like, why, why would you want me to report you? And the reason I want them to report me is because I probably did not get them sick. 
here's a number one misconception about foodborne illness. It's never the last meal you ate. And people always think it's the last meal they ate because that's what's been repeating on them. And that's what's coming up, um, vomiting. So they automatically assume the last meal made them sick. Now, however, the last meal can make you sick, but it's highly unlikely that the last meal will make you sick. Out of all the different types of foodborne illness, um, there's not many that will make you sick ASAP like that. I mean, that's very, very rare. What will make you sick ASAP is if the food is rotten. The food is rotten and bad. That'll make you sick ASAP because you're you're eating food that is decaying, that is rancid, that is filled with bacteria, dead bacteria. And when you consume that, yes, you will vomit right away. But the issue is you're not going to eat rotten food like that. You're going to know that the food is bad and you're not going to eat it. Okay. Now, I recently had a round of food poisoning, um, mild case. Foodborne illness, food poisoning, same thing. I'll use those terms interchangeably, interchangeably here. Is one of the most underreported, underreported um, illnesses out there. Uh, people just don't report it. They, you know, stay home sick for the day, and that's it. And they're back on their feet, and they rock and roll and go. With that being said, I am not a doctor, so I cannot give medical advice, nor am I giving medical advice on this podcast. I'm just telling you what I know and what you should do. Um, if you're accusing a restaurant of foodborne illness, any restaurant, okay? So once a restaurant calls the health department, that person calls the health department, the health department will tell them and go through three days of food with them. And the person's gonna wonder, well, why are we going through three days of food when I know I got sick last night? And typically the health department will explain to you, it's not the last meal you ate. And it's better for the health department to explain it to them than me, because they're calling me and they're saying, Marcus, just wanted to let you know, a lot of it's nice. Just wanted to let you know last night, um, you know, you should know this, but I got sick from your restaurant. That's when I say, please call the health department. Please, please, please. You must report this. This is a very serious thing. And then I explain it to them. I say, now, I'm, they're going to explain the same thing I am. They're going to explain the same thing to you that I'm going to explain to you right now. It's probably not the last meal you ate. And if other people call, they'll notice a pattern. And then they can go in and actually do something because there might be a restaurant that is being very lazy or it's not their fault. It came through their supply chain and they didn't know it or they were being sloppy, lazy, and they cross-contaminated and something needs to be done before they get other people sick. So please call the health department. I'm very confident it was not my restaurant and they're probably going to reassure you the same thing because um, they know us. They know us very well. They can see what we're doing and they're going to explain to you how this actually works, which I'm going to explain to you in a moment here. So that kind of gets me off the hook. So I'm not the authority telling them because who wants to hear? Well, my, everyone's want, everyone wants to defend their, every restaurant owner's going to want to defend their business. When, when somebody calls it, your restaurant made me sick. I was up all night with diarrhea and vomiting because your restaurant made me sick. Um, on my way home, I had to stop and use the bathroom because your burger made me sick. No restaurant owner wants to hear that, right? And most restaurant owners will defend themselves. I apologize and say, it's probably not me, but let's report this. So it's an official documentation. All right. So first off, well, second off now, second off, first off was that um, it's typically not the last meal you ate. Second off, the reason why that's not the last meal you ate is because when you consume bacteria, when you consume these germs, these parasites, whatever you're consuming in the food, in the food, 
it has to go into your body. It's like a piece, it's like two pieces of meat. Both pieces of meat are infected with the same exact germs, so maybe bacteria. They're both infected, they both have the same, same they're, they're, they're both contaminated, both pieces of meat, both ribeye steaks. One ribeye steak, however, is fresh, and there's a few in there, it's a small colonization. The other ribeye steak is already a week old, and it has a much more colonization of the bacteria. The bacteria is proliferated. The bacteria has now started dying, and the meat's now rancid. Two different types of meat, both infected. Both of those meats, pieces of meat are infected. When you consume the less infected piece, the right the piece that's most infected, the chef shouldn't be serving it. You probably wouldn't eat it because you'd be like, this beef is off. This is fish is off. This lobster tastes like ammonia, right? This You would know the signs and you'd be like, something's not right here. Something's wrong. And I felt the signs on my, my recent one here in the US. Um, I've been traveling to Mexico, but here in the US, I, I taste something. I said, this is really off. Um, and I didn't eat it. I took three bites, two bites. And I said, eh, something's wrong with this. I don't really feel this. I don't, and I pushed it aside and eat it. And two days later, sure enough, I was sick two days later. I, I was in bed the whole day. So back to that one piece of steak that has, that has a low microbial count. So you eat that, you consume it. There's not enough in there to make you sick yet because you don't feel it. So what happens is those microbes, once they enter into your system, now have to start colonizing. They have to start forming up their team and their army, and they're going to all, all of a sudden proliferate. But that's still not when you get sick, typically. You typically get sick when that colonization goes into the die-off stage. And folks, this takes minimum 24 hours, 48 hours, you know, 72 hours. You're talking two days later, up to three days later, you're now experiencing what you had on if this is a Wednesday, you're experiencing what you had on Sunday night, Monday, not what you had Tuesday night. And that's where it becomes tricky for me as a restaurant owner, because it's hard for me to explain that to people when they're sick. So that's the one reason I say, please call the health department. You have to report this. Please, please do this for me. Call the health department. And that's the odd contradictory thing that I tell people that other restaurants might not tell people. So now once that die-off stage hits, your body wants to get rid of all these dead microbes, right? Get these out of me. So that's when you start the upset stomach, the nausea, the diarrhea, and the vomiting. And those are all natural ways, vomiting and diarrhea, to expel this toxin. That is a bodily function that your body needs. And fever, fever can happen too. Uh, but you're going to, fever is not good to expel. Fever is going to raise your body temperature and kill things, which kind of is expelling. But when you're getting rid of them, like your body says, I don't want these in here anymore. We've got to get rid of these. Hey, Marcus, let's get rid of these. You're on the toilet on both ends, getting rid. And you don't need to be on both ends. You can be just diarrhea or vomiting or both combination. Your body says, get rid of these, Marcus. This is poison. Let's get rid of this stuff now ASAP. And um, so when you start taking things like Pepto, and you start thinking the ammonium, you start taking things that are going to inhibit that, that might not be the best idea. But again, I'm not a medical doctor, not a medical professional, I should say. So I'm not, shouldn't be saying that. But when you find articles online and when you talk to a doctor, they probably will agree with that statement that, you know, you want to get the stuff out of you. Don't keep it in you. The longer you keep it in you, the worse off you are. Get the stuff out of your system. So that's just a natural. A lot of people say, oh, once I threw up, I felt so much better, right? Well, yeah, duh, you did feel better because it's out of your system. 
just like alcohol poisoning, <laughs> drinking too much. Once it's out of your system, your body's like, oh, wow. Thank you, Marcus. We feel much better now that you just got rid of all this poison. You dumped all this poison we were sitting on in our body. So um, where can you get food poisoning? So of course, restaurants, anywhere you eat. Um, it might not be the restaurant's fault. It might be in the supply chain. But like I said in the beginning, potluck dinners, like you have no idea what's happening at people's houses. Do they have pets? Did the cat step in the cat litter, then jump on the counter? Did the person put their apples on the counter and then cut those apples without washing them properly or washing them before, cut those apples and put it into their chicken Waldorf salad that they bring to a potluck dinner, a potluck barbecue in July, 4th of July, and their chicken Waldorf salad is sitting out in the sun for two to three hours <laughs> while you're having this picnic, family reunion, whatever, and the person at home used apples that were on their counter that the cat was in the kitty litter and jumped up on and the, the skin touched where the cat touched. And it's so easy to happen. It's not just a typical, I was cutting chicken on a chicken on, on a board and I, I did not wash the chicken on the cutting board enough. And then I cut lettuce on the same board. So this, when I say that restaurants have, have more facilities to avoid this, like for us in our restaurant, our cutting boards are all colorated color coordinated like the green board is just for vegetables the yellow board is for poultry the red board is for red meat so we don't take the same cutting board and wash it after we cut meat and then immediately cut lettuce on it we grab a whole new cutting board we have six seven eight cutting boards right and more than that we must have 12 cutting boards but at home you probably don't have three or four different cutting boards you have one nice cutting board that sits on your counter and you're going to cut your steak right then you're going to wipe that counter off and you're going to two hours later cut um lettuce or tomatoes or the tomatoes for your burgers that you made on the cutting board two hours earlier an hour earlier and you might have wiped it off but you might not wiped it off great enough now in the restaurant we use an immense amount of bleach bleach is the number one sanitizer that we use all over the restaurant and this is what they actually use in chicken processing plants they use chlorine uh, industrial chlorine to go in and spray down all of the chickens once they're pre-processed. So you're avoiding salmonella, but does that work hundred percent of the time? No, it doesn't because it's still, it still happens. Right. But that's one of their major precautions. That's what happened a lot more. So you at home have less than we have at restaurants and the training is less. And we go to school for it and the health department's always checking and they're always dropping off magnets to stick on our coolers, you know, make sure that, you know, you cook this to 180 degrees, make sure you cook this to this and make sure you, so we're always in constant training mode, reinforcement mode, and we have 12 cutting boards, unlike you. So things can happen differently at home and people don't associate, like we don't have cats running around our kitchen that are in a litter box and jumping on the counter. At home, this can happen. A lot of things can happen at home. You can put things into a cooler. You can put chicken on, on a shelf in the refrigerator, not realizing that chicken, the, the whole package of chicken breasts that's in the foam package that's wrapped was sitting in the counter at the grocery store, but the one underneath it was leaking and got onto the bottom of your package and that package goes into the shelving into your um, refrigerator. And then all of a sudden you put another piece of food on there had a celery, whatever else. And all of a sudden now you have cross-contamination that happens as well inside your grocery bags coming home, cross-contamination. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunities besides just the cutting board scenario for cross-contamination. The sink, you wash something in the sink. Like how many times did our grandmothers take that chicken, put it in the sink, fill it with water, throw some vinegar in there. The vinegar is supposed to kill everything, right? 
But on the very, very top, you have chicken, chicken juice remnants that are now in the sink there. And as it drains, that whole sink is lined with, you know, some type of chicken, chicken juice. Um, did we actually go through and bleach that whole sink, bleach everything down, spray it down? Probably not as well as we should have, if, even if we did. It's like washing your hands. You can wash your hands for five seconds. You can wash your hands for 25 seconds. It's a big difference. And all this, all this matters. Um, at home, a lot of people at home don't have latex gloves. They're not sitting there between each thing, putting on a new pair of gloves, touching this, touching that, then taking those gloves off, throwing them out. And that's the one you should have with restaurants. Restaurants abuse the gloves. They just keep the same gloves on and the health department can't stand it. Health department cannot stand it at all. But it's one of those things where I have gloves on, but the gloves are dirty. Um, sometimes it's better not wearing gloves based upon what can get on the gloves and people can transfer. So gloves are up and down in the air, but restaurants have gloves and if they're used properly, they work very effectively. So, all right. Now into a little bit of this article about more about food poisoning symptoms and everything. Um, so foodborne illnesses caused by infect, uh, consuming infected, damaged, poisoned food, nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea are the most frequent symptoms of food poisoning. Food poisoning is not uncommon. It's more common than we think it is. Um, all right. So uh, do they give any numbers here? 48 million people uh, get food poisoning each year in the world. 128,000 120,000 of the 48 million are hospitalized. All right. So again, you might want to contact your healthcare professional. Um, if you have symptoms, if you have symptoms, if you have food poisoning, it's unlikely that it will, it was likely, it's unlikely that it will go unnoticed. Depending on the source of the illness, symptoms may differ. Abdominal cramping, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, appetite loss, slight fever and weakness, and headache. All right. Once you've had a slight fever and a headache, you probably would not even think you had food poisoning, right? You probably think, wow, no, but again, something very mild. Um, symptoms of potentially fatal food poisoning include diarrhea that lasts more than three days, temperature of more than 102 degrees, signs of ex extreme dehydration, including trouble seeing or speaking, dry mouth, passing little to no pee, bloody urine. Those absolutely require medical attention. So do take that seriously. Um, and it says here, contact your doctor. Uh, how long does food poisoning last? So the length of time for symptoms to appear depends on the source of the infection, but it can range from as little as 30 minutes to as long as eight weeks, all right? With or without treatment, most cases will resolve within one week. Most people are fine once they just get it out of their system, they're okay, which can usually take up to a full day. Uh, what a couple of vomits, um, couple times to the bathroom and most people are feeling better just from that. Most food sources can be traced to one of three major causes, bacteria, parasites, or viruses. These pathogens can be found in almost all food humans eat. However, heat from cooking usually kills pathogens on food before it reaches our plate. Foods eaten raw are common sources of food poisoning because they don't go through the cooking process. Folks, you can get sick from eating celery greens, lettuces, like, the, like, the, like the, the E. coli outbreaks every year. You need to wash your lettuces, your vegetables. You need to wash all this kind of stuff. It's not just a piece of chicken or the piece of 
uh, the hamburger that was, wasn't cooked properly or the stuff. It can happen from really anything because anything, like I said, it might not be the restaurant's fault and it might not be the, your fault at home. It might show up at your doorstep in your grocery shopping cart with these already in them. And we don't hear about salmonella in beef, um, but beef has salmonella as well. And every, every processing plant goes through rigorous salmonella tests for beef because it's, it's just part of, it's, it's in the chicken, we know that, but it's in the beef as well. And we don't associate it because salmonella and chicken go together like peanut butter and jelly. And <laughs> you don't just don't assume, assume beef is like that. But the, all this stuff is all over the place. And it's already in the foods, which is why cooking is cooking and washing and sanitation is so important. It's not like you came home and you left the chicken out on your countertop for eight hours too long. That's typically not how a lot of this happens. Although I know people that have done that and then say, Marcus, I've left this out all day. Is this still good? I'm like, eh, <laughs> probably not. So it's not caused by a restaurant being negligent. It's caused by, it's in our food system already, right? Now we have to really take great care to do this. So um, by far the most prevalent cause of foodborne, foodborne poisoning is foodborne poisoning is bacteria. Bacterial foodborne poisoning includes E. coli, listeria, salmonella, clostridium, chemobacter, um, staphylococcus, shigellia, and I don't know this last one, uh, Vibrio. Um, they don't mention trichinosis in here, which is something from the pork from the past, hopefully. Um, salmonella is the most common bacteria that causes foodborne poisoning in the United States. Salmonella infection is responsible for an estimated 1.3 million cases of foodborne poisoning a year, including 26,000 hospitalizations. So, um, bunch of parasites listed there as well. Viruses, norovirus, rotavirus, astrovirus, sapovirus. Um, norovirus is also known as Norwalk virus. Those are also possibilities. Treatment for food poisoning. Again, I'm not a doctor, not a healthcare professional. Food poisoning is frequently treatable at home. Here are a few things you can do to assist food poisoning. Keep yourself hydrated. Utilize over-the-counter. Oh, let's go back to the hydration here. It's just important. Electrolyte-rich beverages are beneficial. I like coconut water. I like to crack open a coconut water when I feel sick like this and full of electrolytes, crack open the coconut. Now, most of you are not going to have a coconut to crack open. I do because we have a restaurant. Uh, but you can take coconut water, uh, live and living juices, right? I like pineapple juice, maybe just a little pineapple, just a little orange juice. No caffeine, no caffeine. It can, it can irritate what's happening already. Um, but when you can get something that has some type of sugar content in it, fruit juices, uh, coconut water, you're restoring the car, your carbohydrate replenishment, which is important. Um, decaffeinated teas are great. I like honey. So when I was recently sick, I had jasmine tea with some honey in it. And that carbohydrate, the honey was really smoothing for me. So they're saying chamomile, peppermint, dandelion may also help soothe. Um, peppermint is great. So if you have essential oils of peppermint, rub it on your stomach, smell it. That's great. Uh, utilize over-the-counter drugs. Over-the-counter drugs like Imodium and Pepto can help you manage diarrhea and decrease nausea. However, you should consult a doctor before using these medications because your body uses vomiting and diarrhea to eliminate the toxins. Like I had said before, um, there is some uh, uh, prescribed medications you can take too. Um, 
if you're pregnant, really seek medical attention. You don't want anything to go into your unborn child. Uh, they also recommend some antibiotics at that point. Um, adequate rest. Things you want to eat and drink during food poisoning. Okay. These are things you want to eat. Crackers with salt, gelatin, bananas, rice, oatmeal, bland potatoes, boiled vegetables, diluted fruit juices, chicken broth, decaffeinated soda, ginger ale or root beer. I like ginger. I like the cute ginger. Uh, that's what I recently had. I had a couple of those during the course of the day. And at first I couldn't get anything down. Like I put a little bit in my mouth, could not get it down at all. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Foods to totally stay away from that will not make you feel better. Dairy products, especially milk and cheese. Foods with high fat. Foods that are fried. Meals that are heavily seasoned. Spicy meals. Meals with a high sugar content. Also avoid caffeine, alcohol, and nicotine. So, um, it just goes on a little bit of the stuff that I had said about food poisoning, about avoiding it and, and precautions and things like that. Folks, sushi, believe it or not, of course, it's raw fish. A lot of sushi in a lot of states, they use frozen fish. A lot of people say, oh, I don't want to get sick from, they use frozen fish. When you freeze fish, this is why it's so important. I'm a huge advocate of frozen fish in general. Um, because if fish is frozen properly when it's caught, it will kill all the microbes. You have to come home, defrost it, put it in your refrigerator overnight, and defrost this piece of fish. And you have zero microbes when these things literally defrost. They're super, super fresh. Um, sushi fish is typically frozen. Certain states will not allow you to have non-frozen fish to serve for sushi because freezing it kills the microbial count and it brings it down and it's a safe way of, of processing it without cooking it. So freezing also helps out a lot, but thawing can also increase if you're thawing, if you're not thawing properly, never thaw, thaw, thaw fish, anything on a counter. If you're, if you have a turkey that you're thawing, you put it in the refrigerator, if it's Thanksgiving time, and you're thawing a turkey, you put it in the refrigerator for four days before you go to cook it. You don't keep it on your counter. You don't run under water in the sink. You keep it in the refrigerator, plan ahead of time, four days, plan ahead of time. And that's what you do. Same thing when you defrost fish and stuff. Don't like go to work in the morning and put a pork chop or a piece of frozen salmon out on your counter and leave it out there all day. You're gonna wanna say, you know what? It's Sunday and I think Tuesday we're gonna have pork chops. Let me take them out of the freezer and put them in the refrigerator now so the pork chops are ready for Tuesday, all right? So you have to always thaw under refrigeration. That's the big thing that the health department focuses on us with. You always thaw under refrigeration. You don't thaw at room temperature. Because if you're thawing something bigger, the outside of obviously is gonna get warm. The inside's gonna be frozen like a turkey. And all of a sudden you have stuff proliferating on the outside, microbes, and you have a great condition for it. You got moisture, you got protein, you got warmth. Um, and all that's happening there. And the, and the bacteria is already there sometimes, right? So now all of a sudden you have a group breeding ground for this, right? And yeah, you're going to put the turkey and you're going to cook it and you're going to kill it in most cases, but still you're going to, maybe you're going to touch that turkey and then you touch something else and not wash your hands properly. Now all of a sudden the apple you touched, celery you touched, something else you touched now has that bacteria transferred to it. So Super, super important. And even if you thought it under refrigeration, you still want to wash your hands very carefully, but out of refrigeration, you're going to proliferate that at a much bigger level. So um, 
cook your food properly, wash your hands properly, wash your cutting boards properly, wash your sink properly, proper sanitation. It's never the last meal you ate, never the last meal you ate unless your food is rotten to begin with. Whenever you get foodborne poisoning, call your local county health department. Call them, they must know. There might, it might, and again, it might not be the restaurant's fault at all, but there might be a bad batch of something somewhere that can needs to be traced. And the more people that call, the more tracing they can do. And you can possibly save somebody's life from getting a case of food poisoning that had a weakened immune system or worst case of food poisoning. So you're only doing good. You're not reporting a specific, specific restaurant. Don't feel like it's that way at all. And if it was ever my restaurant, um, call the health department as well, please call the health department. So um, that is it, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate your support here on this on Chef on a Mission Radio, episode number 70. Was this 70 or 71? Uh, let me find out really, really super quick here. Um, and actually, I can't. Well, I'm not. I don't have. Oh, right here. This is right in front of me. I have so many windows open. 71. Chef on a Mission podcast 71. Sorry if I said 70 earlier. 71. And uh, again, brought to you by Roman Time Bistro. A-R-O-M-A, Aroma, time, T-H-Y-M-E, bistro.com. Check us out if you're ever up here in the Hudson Valley. We'd love to have you. Certified green, farm to table, real food, great bar. And then check out my other business, VIP Winery Vacations. We do several things on VIP. We, of course, we want to take you to Italy again really bad as soon as travel clears up. Uh, Mexico to Baja, wine region down there is amazing. And if you ever need a wine tour in the Hudson Valley, we, can, we have you covered for that. We send professional licensed and insured drivers to your location and drive your car. It's the most affordable and flexible way to tour the Hudson Valley wineries. If you have a larger group where your car doesn't fit, where you can't fit everybody in your car, then we have options for tours. We have partner companies. We have people that we partner with that will um, show you the goods as well that we work very, very closely with. So we can cover groups from two to 30 people. We've got you covered. So give us a call if you want a wine tour, brewery tour, distillery tour here in the Hudson Valley. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Um, share this episode with other people and remember, um, download it. Uh, and especially if you get sick, uh, reference, please reference this, this episode back. And um, that is it. Everybody be well.